Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on effective teaching strategies. All right, good morning everybody. It's really nice to meet all of you. My name is Jen Middleton and I'm gonna be spending some time with you this year doing some faculty development. So hopefully helping fill your toolbox with some of the skills that you're gonna need um, for working with students, residents, other fellows, certainly this year and then perhaps in the rest of your career depending on what your career plans are. So this is a makeup session um, this morning, so forgive the date is not November 22nd, but on November 22nd I was home with an ill child so thank you for your graciousness in allowing me to reschedule to be with you this morning. But today we're going to talk about the KEMP model of instructional design. Am I speaking a foreign language to everybody in here so far? All right, 45 minutes from now we're all going to be speaking the same language, okay? So this is meant to be super interactive. There's some activities we're going to work on together here. Interrupt me anytime with questions, comments, etc., okay? So what are you going to walk out of here able to do after our time together this morning? We're going to talk about designing measurable objectives. We're going to do presentation skills later this year, but one of the things that you have experienced undoubtedly thus far in your medical career are hundreds and hundreds of horribly designed objectives at the beginning of presentations. And I'm going to ruin you this morning because now for the rest of your career, whenever you see those bad objectives, you're going to recognize them and be judgy. We're going to talk about choosing instructional strategies that align with your objectives and your content. And the worst instructional strategy is straight one-way lecture, blah, 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 which we're not going to do this morning, which I'm going to discourage you from doing when you're teaching folks in the future. And we'll talk about why that is. And last but not least, hopefully, you're going to use this model called the Kemp model to develop a plan for an original curriculum. And we're going to talk in a minute about what a curriculum is by definition. It can be lots and lots of different things. Um, but hopefully you're going to find that this is a really useful model to use anytime you have to give a presentation or even design a more far-reaching curriculum. It will give you some structure. So what is a curriculum, Middleton? If we're going to talk about curriculum design. What's a curriculum? Well, curriculums often we think of as being longitudinal things. You know, you guys have a fellowship curriculum that Dr. Ferris developed for you that is all laid out with all the things you're going to do all year round, right? Sometimes curricula happen virtually. You guys have, may have experienced doing some online modules in your residency education or your med school education, so it doesn't necessarily mean everybody coming into one place together. Curriculum can be just a one-off presentation. So what I'm doing with you all this morning is a curriculum, putting this presentation together. And sometimes it's something that's a little bit less structured. It's not something where you're preparing a bunch of PowerPoint slides and standing in front of somebody, but you're doing a chalk talk or something else. But I'm hoping to convince you that curriculums are kind of like fractals. So I'm giving you this 45 to 60 minute presentation this morning that is a curriculum that this model applies to, but this one hour curriculum is also part of a longitudinal curriculum that I developed for all of you working with your faculty this year as part of your experience. So these little, each of these little pieces you can apply this model to, but then the big picture you can apply the model to. So when I wrote the curricular proposal for what I was going to do for you guys this year, um, for Dr. Ferris, 
I used the same model that I used to design this one-hour presentation. So it's a really flexible model, which is what I like about it a lot. Um, it works to fit. It works for a 10-minute chalk talk, and it works for a three-year longitudinal curriculum. I do evidence-based medicine at Riverside, and we have a three-year curricular plan for that. So I've used this model to design that whole plan, but then each hour of that curriculum that we present is its own little curriculum that you can apply the model to. Okay, we cool so far? So curricular are like fractals. So what I want you to think about for a minute, and um, so you have two pieces of paper in front of you. One says handout at the top and has this model that we're going to talk about. And one says worksheet at the top. So take the worksheet one first. And now that we've talked a little bit about what a curriculum is, I have to imagine if your fellowship is anything like my fellowship, that you have some presentation that you're responsible for giving at some point or some you know, inpatient service you're going to be facilitating and teaching some residents or students on. So what thing are you going to be responsible for in the next few months that we're going to use as an example to work through this model today. So on the top of the worksheet page, take a couple seconds and just jot down whatever that is that's upcoming for you to do. And that way we'll just kind of keep it in mind as we roll forward here. I don't know if there's any way to move the whiteboard without disrupting the Christmas tree, but maybe what I'll do is just pull this table out. And when we're ready to use the whiteboard, we'll just swing over there if that doesn't give the video people too much of a heart attack. Okay. All right, everybody got something? Is there presentations that you're kind of expected to do? Can you guys tell me a little bit about what that is and what you're going to be doing? Grand rounds. Grand round. Dun, dun, dun. And who are grand rounds for? Uh, the palliative uh, faculty and nurse practitioners. Okay. All right, so is that true for everybody? Everybody's got to do a grand rounds? All right, so is that what everybody wrote down? I got to do grand rounds? Okay. <laughs> Well, hey, we're all working from common ground. Anybody do anything different? Everybody do grand rounds. Okay. You know what? We can work with that. We can work with that. Okay. So maybe this feels practical already. Awesome. Let's talk about curricular design models. So I'm here so that you don't have to add a faculty development fellowship onto your nice string of accomplished fellowships you guys are all doing. But you can do a whole fellowship. You can get medical education degrees in this stuff. And I'm going to condense everything down to you here for 45 minutes. There are lots of different curricular design models. The Family Docs, if you've gone to SDFM, you may have seen some of these presented. Society of Teachers of Family Medicine, if you've been to other academic conferences. But what is the point of using a curricular design model? They give you a structured planning process. I can't emphasize this enough. If you want to be successful in transmitting whatever message or educational points you have to your audience, you must have a plan. Um, and that plan cannot be sit down, open computer, regurgitate some stuff into PowerPoint and go present. It's not good enough. You've seen a lot of that crap in your career. I know you have. You're going to be better than that after today. Helps you keep track of important details. You know, a, a grand rounds, how long is grand rounds? An hour? That's a lot of time, right? It's a lot of things to keep track of. Curricular design models help you keep track of all of the details that go into an hour of content. They make sure, this is so important, that your content aligns with your goals and objectives. They make your content equal what you're going to do to teach it. So how you teach your content 
depends on what your content is. For example, I'm going to give a lot of family medicine examples, so I apologize to the non-family docs in the room. Um, if I'm going to do a suture, if I'm going to teach my residents how to suture a laceration, all right, I'm not going to have them watch a video and then say, okay, here you go. Right? That's not going to work. I need to do something hands-on to teach them those skills. Same thing. You want how you teach it to be appropriate to what your content is. Okay? So we have all these pieces that we want to make sure fit together. We okay so far? So I, of the instructional design, curricular design models, am a big fan of Kemp. There are a lot of different ones out there. But I think Kemp is more flexible than any other model. And I think it's the easiest one to jump off and use after, once you guys have seen this today, poof, you're going to be ready to go. But there are other ones out there. And if you want to learn about them, let me know. So this is a big overview of the Kemp model, and I don't want you to look at all the little words. All the detailed people right now are reading through all the little words. But look at the big picture of this model. What observations do you want to make just about the structure of this model? Anybody, throw them out there. It's a circle, okay? That's important, it's not linear, right? I would argue that there's something missing from this model that you're probably used to seeing in, in models. A start and an end. A start and an end, yes. And a direction. There's no lines connecting any of this together, right? There's no clear place where you must start here and you must end here. And on the outside is this word called revision. So the idea being that curricular design ideally is this very fluid process. This model works starting at any point. Were you assigned your topics for grand rounds? Okay. Well, I will tell you, as a junior faculty member, I was frequently assigned things to do, which meant I had to start here at content. So if that may be the case for you early in your career also, potentially, it was on mine. Middleton, you're giving a talk on asthma next week. Okay, asthma. But maybe, as you did, you get the chance to start from scratch. So you get to choose what your content is. You get to choose what your instructional goals are. A lot of times folks start here and roughly think about this in a clockwise fashion. And that's how we're going to talk through each of the elements, just to have a format to talk about them. But the key here is that all of these need to be in harmony with each other. So your objectives need to be in harmony with your goals, need to be in harmony with your content, need to be in harmony with your design strategy. And uh, how you're going to evaluate, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So these all need to balance. And if you change one of these in the process of revision, then everything else you got to go back and look at and make sure that it still lines up, all right? So it's very, very flexible. For the purposes of instruction, we're going to go through this in a clockwise fashion, but you don't have to be that rigid about it when you do it, okay? So we're going to talk about these one by one. As we do that, on your worksheet, we're going to kind of pause as we go through and think about a little bit of these things. This obviously isn't the final version, but just kind of do some brainstorming on what you're doing. And if you guys are comfortable, we'll share that a little bit with each other. If you want an overview of the whole process, your handout has the whole model on it. Back here is a list of everything. And on page three of your handout are some activities that we're going to do. But resist the urge to flip ahead just yet, if you can. So let's talk about instructional goals first. 
So instructional goals are where you get to be all pie in the sky, idealistic. This is why you went into medicine kind of stuff. They should be loosely defined. You don't have to measure these. Um, think big with goals. And when I think about designing goals for a curriculum, usually the first draft that I write is not big enough. It's not big picture enough. So if you guys think about why you went in to this incredible profession that you are in and the specialty of hospice palliative medicine, oh my gosh, mind-blowing, the work that you guys do, are doing, will do in your career for caring for folks at one of the most difficult times in their lives. Keep all of that in mind when you think about what these goals are, all right? These should be big picture kind of things. So when you think about your grand rounds topic, you all know what your topic is? Everybody knows? Okay, somebody still has to think about what their topic is. All right, think of, think of any imaginary topic. It doesn't have to be what you're going to do for good, but think of something we can work with this morning, okay? So, so anybody who doesn't have a set topic, think of something that you just want to play with this morning, okay? Take a second and jot down at the end of this hour that you're going to spend with Grand Rounds, yeah, I know you got to do it, but at the end of the hour, what, is the, what do you want people to walk out feeling inspired about? Or is there some really big, important patient care thing you want to walk, have them walk out able to do? And you want them to do it so it's good for patients? Or maybe it's a self-care thing, it's good for them, because you guys are in a really mentally demanding specialty, I think. So take a second and jot down what might those big picture goals be. Is anybody willing to share their topic and their goal or goals? Thank you, Brittany. Uh, so, do, okay. Oh, um, okay, thank you. Thank you for keeping me honest. Cool. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in end-stage liver disease awesome. and the uh, correlation with, with palliative care. So um, I plan to expose everybody to just a broad understanding of what are the unique challenges of caring for patients with end-stage liver disease with regards to palliative symptom management, advanced care planning, end-of-life care, um, and then the emergence of a concurrent care model of palliative and curative. Yeah, intent. cool. Um, so just kind of getting a, a feel for the landscape and where the field is going. So you want people, can I rephrase? You want people to kind of get this big picture overview. And I'm going to guess, so you guys tell me if I'm wrong, that end-stage liver disease maybe hasn't been a hot topic in the hospice palliative world before. It's emerging. Um, okay. There's been a lot of call for it in the last 20 years or so, but not a lot's been done. Not a lot's been done. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to push you gently a little bit. I think your goal is a little bit bigger. And again, this is often true with first draft goals. I think your goal is more to convince folks that this is important and worthy of them learning about and being experts in, and that these patients deserve the same kind of care that folks with more classic hospice diagnoses get. I think that's fair. Is that fair to say? I don't want to impose anything yeah, on you. I think that that's but that's the vibe I'm getting. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the first thing that you write down, and writing curricula is like writing, writing, and I think I'm doing some medical writing with you guys later this year. Um, also, the first thing you put down doesn't have to be the end. And a lot of time with goals, you gotta, you're going to get a first thing down and you're like, wait a minute, what's really, so what? So what's the bigger thing back here? So try to think about what that bigger thing is. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. 
All right, so we started here. We're gonna roll here. This one's gonna be easy for us to talk about because you all have the same learners, okay? So learner characteristic, who are your learners? Who's your audience? Are they students, are they residents, are they faculty? You guys have a bit of a challenge. You're presenting to folks who are experts in your field a lot of the time, right? Right, all of your fellowship faculty? I'd be a little stressed if I was you. I, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe. What kind of personality types are in there? We're gonna talk about learning styles next time I meet you. What kind of learning styles? What do you know about your audience? How comfortable are they with the material that you're presenting? What kind of a learning environment are they gonna be in? Is it gonna be a huge auditorium style Ohio State classroom? Is it gonna be a small room like this? What's the room setup look like? How are the chairs, how are the tables? What time of day? Oh man, what time is Grand Rounds? How early? 7.30 in the morning, oh man. So I'm gonna just guess maybe both of these are gonna apply, sleepy, hungry. Is caffeine provided at Grand Rounds? Oh man, that's rough, that's rough. All right, so all these things you wanna think about with your learners, and it's easy to kind of stop here and be kind of superficial and say, well, it's some faculty and some fellows and nurse practitioners, but again, how much detail can you dig into, into who these folks are, especially this, so I don't know, Brittany, how expert all of your folks presenting or who are going to be there when you're presenting are on end-stage liver disease. Um, maybe they're not super comfortable. Maybe some folks are and some folks aren't. That can be a challenge. Are you, are you presenting frequently in family medicine? I present to an audience that consists of everything from first-year students to faculty with 25 years of experience. How do you make a presentation meaningful for that different range of learners? Do you guys have students or residents at Grand Rounds? Yeah, so you're gonna think about that too. So think about for a minute on your worksheet and jot down some ideas about who your learners are. And I'm gonna ask all of you to kind of brainstorm out loud on this one together a little bit because they're all the same learners. You're all presenting to the same group. So take a second and jot and then let's use the whiteboard here. All right, so let's talk a little bit about who your learners are gonna be at Grand Rounds. Throw out some characteristics of the Grand Round learners. And this is this is a trust tree, so just throw it out there. Okay. What else can we say about our learners? So co-fellows, mid-level providers, potential residents, students. Pharmacists there. You guys are super multidisciplinary specialty, right? I mean, it's awesome. I just finished working on um, the curriculum proposal for faculty development for your faculty. And oh my goodness, I've never designed a faculty development curriculum for such a varied group of backgrounds. It's, gonna, it's a really fun challenge. So yeah, so a lot of different folks, right? So what more? All right, so this is always where people start. What more can we say about this group of people? Most of the folks, there's kind of some common language, right? Okay, what else? 
These guys are kind of a special challenge, right? We'll talk about them in a minute. They may not be there by choice. I'm guessing everybody else is there by choice, right? That's important, right? That's important, okay? Chose to be there, maybe not at 7.30, I don't know. What else do we know about your learners? Are they generally a quiet group that sits back and listens attentively? Are they going to ask lots of questions and expect to be engaged? What, what is Green Rounds usually like? It's usually pretty quiet. Usually, so usually they're pretty quiet, okay? Toward the end, there'll be more questions. Okay. More engagement. Okay. We generally know everybody. Ah, that's very important, right? So that was one of my challenges coming in here today. I knew a couple of folks, but I didn't know everybody yet. So, okay. That changes the kind of things that you might have them do with each other. If they already know each other, you don't have to worry about doing an icebreaker or some sort of thing to help people introduce and get comfortable with each other first. So that's nice. All right, what else? I'm just gonna throw that out there as being important. All right? And we'll talk about the ways that you think about time of day in how you design your presentation to be successful, but you gotta think about it. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. So what do you think in general is true of learners, medical learners at 7.30 in the morning? What kind of assumptions can we make about folks at 7.30? Yeah. Does everybody always get there on time or are folks usually screening late? Uh-huh, yeah. So you want to think about that when you design your presentation, right? You don't want to put the most important stuff in the first five minutes when everybody's still scurrying in. What else? It better be worth it, right? Oh, thank you, sorry. So I'm going to rephrase it better be worth it to mean, boy, if I, if I made the effort, and for folks who have kids or even folks who don't, and this is just a painful hour of the morning, who made the effort to get here at 7.30 in the morning, um, I, I have high expectations is how I might rephrase that. My expectations are high. There's one other reason I think they're going to think their expectations are high, because they've been working with all of you, and this is kind of a required thing, and they expect a lot, right? Okay. So that give you some idea about how to think about learner characteristics, okay? Feel free to jot any notes that you want about that down. That might be helpful for you. I'm just going to clean that off so it's not distracting as we keep going. All right, moving right along. All right, so we've got goals, we've got our learners. Let's talk about something called task analysis. So task analysis is kind of all of the stuff that you need to do or the stuff that I would recommend that you do before you sit down, open PowerPoint, and start regurgitating into it. All right, so what do you need to complete this design? Do you need to do some research? So I'm gonna use Brittany's example with her permission. Um, is there anything that you need to go look up 
about end-stage liver disease before you give grand rounds. To do a pretty systematic literature review. Okay, so you're going to be doing a big-time literature review, and a lot of the times you are. Unless you're presenting material that you're super expert on, especially if it's something clinical, boy, you better go make sure nothing changed. Um, in the last three months, six months, 12 months. I'll tell you the evidence-based medicine curriculum that I run, those concepts don't change, but I update the materials that we use, the articles that we use as examples every year so they're current. So chances are you're gonna be spending some time doing some information seeking. You may need an expert or two or some help or a curricular design expert help or some presentation skills help, other kind of things like that. Um, you may need to go search for something. Um, there may be articles that you need, references that you need, that you need a librarian to go get for you. So there's lots of things that you may need to do, but commonly doing a literature search. Uh, I'll tell you, the first time I came to present in this space to the faculty last spring, I talked to Dr. Ferris about what the space looked like, how many faculty are going to be there. You guys don't have to do any homework on who your audience is. You know who they are, but if you don't, you may need to do that. So take just 30 seconds and jot down a few things. What's your task analysis for your Grand Rounds presentation? Okay, we're going to roll on. I suspect that list will get longer as we go through the rest of our time together this morning. All right? All right. Boy, we've gone through three steps here, and we haven't even gotten to talking about content yet, but now we're going to start a little bit. We're going to talk about instructional objectives, okay? Objectives. Not only should be, but I would argue must be measurable and precise. You have seen a lot of poor educational objective writing in your career. The reason that they need to be measurable and precise, this is opposite of goals, right? Goals, big picture, pie in the sky, all right? Objectives. Why? Because you're going to use these objectives to determine whether or not your presentation did what you wanted it to do. This is going to connect back to evaluation. So if you have loosey-goosey objectives, how are you going to measure and know that you did what you wanted to do? The other really important reason to have tight objectives is that at the beginning of your presentation, they should kind of serve as like a laser beam so that your audience knows what the most important stuff is that you're going to do. One of the biggest mistakes folks make when they put together presentations, especially grand rounds, is they try to cram way too much in to the presentation, all right? Feeling Medicine, we are champions of this. We have visiting specialists all the time who come. Today, we're going to do arrhythmias in an hour. All right, all of you know there's way too much in arrhythmias to do in one hour. And when you do that kind of blah, blah, blah through everything, what do people walk out remembering? Okay, nothing. All right, so we want to focus. Most folks are going to walk out of a presentation remembering three or four things. Those objectives should reflect those three or four things you want them to know. Understand, appreciate, review, how measurable are those? Okay, no, no, no. Okay, meh. Quality objectives have action verbs and are measurable. So I want to encourage you to use Bloom's taxonomy when you're choosing the verbs for your objectives. Anybody remember Bloom's taxonomy or seen this before? So basically, you start at the bottom. Before you can do anything else with new material, you must know and be able to remember the material. 
Once you know and remember the material, then you can understand it, then you can apply it, then you can analyze, then you can evaluate, and then at the tippity top is create. So you want to choose your level of blooms based on what your goals are for your audience. So I'm going to come back to Brittany again. Brittany may be presenting something to her audience that's brand new to them in that day. So if you're going to give people brand new information, you're probably going to be down here in blooms most of the time. If you're working with a group of experts on things that they already know a lot about, and I'm motioning to where I had experts before, though I know I erased it, then maybe you move a little higher up here on the pyramid. But in general, when you're presenting new information, don't start there. You got to start down here, okay? So remembering, recognize, define, list, recall, name, understand, summarize, explain, classify, apply, implement, discuss, solve. See how these are getting more complicated as we go up the tree? Analyze, select, compare, debate. Oh, we love to make our residents debate in EBM. Ho, ho, ho. Critique, interpret, appraise, design, organize, invent, manage. All right, so think about what your appropriate blooms level is, and these should be your verbs. No appreciate, review, understand, blah, blah, blah. Pick something really specific, okay? So on your handout, in page three, is the blooms pyramid. All right, it's also in your worksheet, but also in your handout. And what I'd like for you to do is look through these are all objectives that I've either, actually I think all of them I've personally witnessed. I don't know if I've written any of them. Yeah, I might have written one or two of them. But these are all objectives that I have personally seen and stored aside for activities such as this. What I'd like for you to do is look at these objectives and decide. If it's measurable, give it a check mark. And if it's not, you can put a big N-O-T in that line. And the ones that aren't measurable, take a stab at how you might rewrite them. So I'll give you just a second to look through those objectives and see what you think of them. Looks like most folks are done, okay, if we move on. All right, so let's, let's talk about these. How about this first one? Understand the pathophysiology of chronic kidney disease. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Down, okay, all right. Anybody have a rewrite that they want to uh, propose? replace understand with explain or summarize pathophysiology. You could. I would argue um, that this is more of a goal than an objective though because it's really broad and hopefully the, when you look at the objectives that you put check marks by they're really specific, right? So is there some particular piece of chronic kidney disease that you want people to walk away getting or understanding um, as opposed to the whole thing. It may be that you're giving a presentation on CKD and you want them to be able to say this is, these are all the steps and what happens in CKD. Um, if that's the case, I still might think about and, and there's a lot of debate on this. There's lumpers and splitters. So there's some folks who are like, yeah, explain at, at, if they can explain it back to me, that checks the box. Um, the splitters would argue, oh, are there any specific steps that you want to highlight or specific pieces that you want them to pull out? So there's, some of this is personal preference. So that one could kind of go either way, all right? How about the second one? Describe the evidence for the use of garlic to treat hypertension. Pretty specific, right? Pretty specific. How about the third one? List three constructs of social cognitive theory. Pretty specific, one, two, three, right? 
I have an MPH, so anybody who wants to know what social cognitive theory, let me know and I'll come back. And I'm here all week. Uh, how about number four? Review the relevant anatomy of the eye. Any thoughts about that one? It seems more like a goal, doesn't it? Yeah, and a lot of these underscaled appreciate reviews are kind of more pie-in-the-sky goals. Um, and I would argue they're first draft goals because the so what of that is, well, what, what's why do I need to know what the relevant anatomy of the eye is? So I can not, you know, have somebody walk out of my office with an eye emergency, um, send them out with a vision-threatening illness, etc. So um, what level of blooms do you think that idea is getting at? Yeah, it's probably the first level remembering kind of a question. So maybe you want folks um, to name certain parts of the anatomy of the eye or, or to be able to recognize them on a picture or a chart or on a human eyeball. So any of those would work. How about the fifth one? It's a mouthful. Assess the plausible clinical consequences of determining a patient's CV disease risk using the 2013 CV risk calculator compared to the Framingham risk calculator. What do you think? It's complicated, but I think the idea is sound. Okay. Because you're comparing the two. I think it's maybe a little broad. Mm -hmm. Maybe give them a more specific task. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. You could just say compare the two. Compare these two calculators or... Um, you know, what's the, what are the pros and cons of these two calculators? What level of blooms do you think the objective writer was getting at with that one? Yeah, pretty high up, right? So they want people to know what both of these calculators are and understand how to use the calculators and be able to compare and contrast them to each other. How about appreciate the history of inguinal hernia repair? Blah, you guys, got, you guys are pros by now, right? What do you think about this last one? Comprehend psychoanalytic therapy options for treating mood disorders kind of vague, right? I would probably want to be more specific about what mood disorder I was using, and then I would want to have, you know, think of these like test questions. If you're going to ask this on a test question, what would the right answer be um, is another way to think of objectives, okay? So have I completely blown your brain on objectives now? Yes. All right. Let's roll on. So now that we've talked about goals, characteristics, analysis, objectives, now, now we're at the magic of content. All right, the Kemp model writers intentionally did not put this at the top of the model. Even though the model has no clear starter beginning, let's face it, in Western society, we look at the top and think about a clock and think about running in that order. So they intentionally put content where they put it. Why? Because they want who your learners are, what your objectives and your goals are to drive what your content is. All right? I have seen this a gajillion times in my decade in residency education. Residents have to give a presentation. They, I even know what some of these phrases are and up to date now. Don't get me started on up to date, not being up to date. And they sit down, they flip open PowerPoint, and they start copying and pasting up to date in for their presentation. So they started with content. Don't start with content. Um, start with who your learners are, what are your objectives, what are your goals, all right? That should determine what your content is. So that you don't come in and say, I'm going to give you an hour on arrhythmias, but I'm going to say, these are the two or three things I want you to know about end-stage liver disease that are going to change your practice. Three to four main points. Identify those points with your objectives. That's all they're going to know. 
So either you decide what those three to four points are, or it's going to happen randomly based, and you guys have done this your whole educational career, right? Had, you know, lectures blah, at you with eight million things, and hopefully a couple of things stick. That's all I'm going to say about content, because we're going to spend a lot of time later this year on developing content, okay? But when you think about what your content is, keeping it focused and related to your objectives is super important. Let's talk about your structure of your content, though. Is it going to be all didactic? Is it going to be didactic activity, didactic activity? Is it going to be all activity? So that C-Train workshop, it's probably all going to be activity, right? You probably don't need to give people a 20-minute PowerPoint on how to suture. They probably need to put some suture in their hands and some pig's feet and get to work. Didactic all by itself might be appropriate as long as it's under 10 minutes. 10 minutes is about when folks start to tune out. Pay attention to yourself the next time you're in an all talky-talky didactic and note what time you start to drift away. It's probably about 5 to 10 minutes. But this, I would argue, most of the time is a winning structure. 5 to 10 minutes of didactic and activity that reinforces the didactic. 5 to 10 minutes of didactic and activity that reinforces the didactic repeated 2 to 4 times for an hour of content. And oh, each of these little dyads should correlate with an objective, right? You see how this all starts to fit together, okay? So instructional strategies. We're going to morph into instructional strategies on page four of your handout. Super quick. Take a sec. There's a whole bunch of instructional strategies listed there. What do you think is going to work for a big group, a small group, or for one-on-one -on -one teaching? And just put a check mark. There's no right or wrong answers. We'll just talk about it. This, of course, is not the end-all, be-all list of instructional strategies, just some things to get you thinking. How many folks are going to be at Grand Rounds? 20. 20. So big group. Big group. Okay. So one of the ways that you can incorporate small group or individual activities into big groups, hopefully I've modeled for you today, which is you give folks something to do in front of them or you break them into small groups. If you, so you can use these strategies in a large group. You just have to tell your group what to do and break your large group down. So let's, let's run through these super quick in the interest of time. So I would argue, it's hard to have a discussion with yourself. If you do, um, our resident psychiatrist may be able to assist you. Um, but otherwise, you have to be careful about large group discussion when you got 10 plus, because what happens? Not all 10 people talk, right? So you gotta, you gotta be a little careful about how you're gonna structure that. Sometimes it works. Brainstorming, you can brainstorm on your own, but not quite as much fun. But that works well in big groups or in small groups. Problem solving, I would argue, is terrible in a large group because, again, you're going to get the most extroverted, comfortable, knowledgeable expert folks talking, and everybody else is going to be quiet. So if you want folks to work on problem solving or case studies, put them in small groups or individual. Have them work on it individual. Um, everybody loves to play games. I'm going to save my tirade on inappropriate medical educational games for another day. But um, if you're going to use a game, use it because it makes sense for your content and not just because it's a game. Right, but probably not much fun to play a game by yourself. I don't know, maybe words with friends, but even then, you're playing with somebody else, right? 
skill practice really has to be for the individual to do, back to the suturing example. Role playing works really well. Um, if you're going to do it in a large group, it's nice to take advantage of those extroverted people who are comfortable being a little vulnerable in front of a big group. Otherwise, you need to be in a small group. So that's where knowing the personalities of your group really helps. All right. So that's what we're going to do about in strategies, but we'll spend some more time talking about that later this year. We're going to wrap up now thinking about designing the message. Everybody thinks defaults to PowerPoint. It's okay to use PowerPoint. I'm using PowerPoint today. I'm going to teach you some PowerPoint tips and tricks later on in the year. But there's lots of other things out there, too. There's newer apps like Prezi that you might use. You might use something like Poll Everywhere or Kahoot. You might use SlideDog or Haiku Deck. So there's lots of stuff out there. So don't default to PowerPoint just because you have to. Use PowerPoint because it meets your needs for your instructional strategies. You're getting the theme here. Everything should align. Maybe you're going to use a flip chart or a whiteboard. Maybe you're going to have a chalkboard. Don't just default to PowerPoint. Think intentionally about what you want to use and why. Handouts are not copies of slides. Handouts are not copies of slides. Handouts are not copies of slides. You have handouts in front of you today. Should one of your message design uh, implements include having a handout? And what should that handout look like? And we can talk about that when we talk about presentation skills. Support services. Do you have a projector? Do you need the right cables? Do you need copies made of your handouts that are not copies of slides? Do you need to provide caffeine? 7.30 in the morning, man, if I were you, I'd provide some caffeine for these people. All right, these are all these little sniggly things that you think about at the end. Do you have a presentation remote? Are you comfortable using it? Um, all these things that you need to kind of pull things together at the end. You're going to give people some snacks at 7.30 in the morning. I don't know, maybe. And then we're going to spend some more time talking about evaluation later this year also. But basically, evaluation is where you figure out whether you met your objectives goals. And you might do that by observing your audience. If you're asking them to solve problems, you might see my audience successfully solve the problem I gave them. I achieved that objective. Or you might see if you achieve some of your objectives. If you will be so kind on your handout as to take the last page off. Nobody ever told you to rip your handout before, right? And you will see an evaluation form. Perhaps you provide a form like this to assess how you did with your audience that day. Okay? And we'll spend some more time talking about that later this year, too. But that is the Kemp model in 60 minutes or less. So you have some space on your worksheet. I know in the interest of time, we didn't walk through every step on the worksheet. But my hope is that this is a useful tool for you as you go through and plan Grand Rounds. And if you'd like an electronic copy of this to use for other things, shoot me an email. My email is on the back of your worksheet. Um, and my cell phone number is on there, too. I'm super happy to be of service to you. I'm going to be taking some extended FMLA leave to care for a family member for most of the rest of December and January, so I'm not going to be in the office. But I have a feeling I'm going to be sitting around being a little bit bored, both in the hospital and at home. So you won't get an immediate response, but if you have any questions, you want to shoot me anything, please do. Um, I'm happy to be a resource for you, and I think our next session together will be in February then. I'm happy to take any final questions, but please please do provide me with an evaluation. Um, do you guys have your own evaluation that you also do for these guys? I'm sorry to give you two. But I'm not sorry because there's some information I want on mine that will be useful for me um, for when I design this for the future. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And throw some questions at me.
Feels like we're talking the same language now by the end of this? Yeah? Cool? Okay. By the end of this year, I will have ruined you for all the bad presentations that you have seen and will continue to see in your medical career. Today is only step one. I'm going to make you educational presentation experts. Sometimes as you get in the nitty-gritty of working on a presentation, you may kind of feel that you are stuck or not sure with what to do at a particular step. That's a really good point to reach out to you know, one of your faculty or to me um, if that's useful. So don't ever get stuck. There's only one way. I, I tell this to interns, but it's true at every level of medicine. There, there's only one way to screw up in medicine um, in general, and that's to not get help when you need it. So. Don't, don't flounder alone. What else can I do for you all this morning? Shoot me an email. <laughs> Shoot me an email, give me a call, send me a text. It's all good. I really do welcome your honest feedback on the evaluation form that I gave you. This is the first time I have presented to a hospice palliative group. So if there are things that I can do differently, if I present again next year um, or in general, I'm really happy to get that feedback. I have a very, very thick skin at this stage of my career, so don't hold back. And I think we'll talk about evaluation and halo effect and overgrading at some point, so don't overgrade me. Well, I consider it my great privilege to be with all of you this morning and for the rest of this year, so thank you so very much. And if I can be of assistance to you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content, make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.